And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Chuck Bentley, the CEO of Crown. It's a nonprofit business and personal finance policy and educational organization. And you may have heard Chuck on the daily radio feature, My Money Life. Chuck, it's great to have you with us. Dan, it's always a privilege to be with you and to partner with Redeemer Broadcasting. You know, Chuck, we know about work, and oftentimes work is, uh, well, work is work. It's hard many times, and it can be discouraging and that sort of thing. But I get the sense that perhaps in our society right now, there's a tendency to shy away from hard work, um, particularly when there's government assistance, um, It's almost like people are encouraged to remain on a low income so that they can get that assistance. So we're interested today, Chuck, and you guiding us in our thinking about work. And what does God have to say about work? Well, this problem not only exists in the United States, I've seen it all over the world, Dan. I've been privileged to be able to travel to over 49 nations to help grow and expand Crown's ministry. And we find at the very root of many problems, not only personal problems, but also national economic problems, is a wrong view of work. And there are cultures in the world today that have a a false view of work, where it's still viewed as a curse. It's viewed as something to avoid, as opposed to something that God designed for our benefit and also to express His goodness. If you look at societies in general around the world, those who've historically held a high view of work, who've esteemed it as a, as a, as a noble calling, as a, as a vocation that brings glory to God, those economies have advanced rapidly. And those that have had a low view of work uh, have stalled or gone backwards. Because if uh, we don't see work for what it really is, uh, then we miss the benefits and the blessings that God designed it to be. And foremost, Dan, it was designed uh, for our benefit. I, I love the saying that a man builds a house, but the house builds a man as well. And when we go to work, we're reflecting the image of God. God worked for six days. He rested for one day. So our God, our creator, is a worker. Uh, he, he's a producer, And we're to work in conjunction with the Lord to be uh, reflections of his attributes, of his character. And because he worked, we have the privilege of working as well. I point people to Genesis 2.15 that said God put Adam in the garden to work and to manage the garden. And that was Adam's responsibility. And it was to glorify God through his labor. And when we do that, we experience not only personal satisfaction, but we experience uh, a productivity that helps other people. So this is a big topic today, Dan. It's one that I hope we can get a little bit deeper into than just understanding that uh, that work is not a curse and that God wants us all to be productive. That's helpful, Chuck. I uh, think of families that like to work and, you know, they, they really pour themselves into work. And, uh, of course, we know that we don't want to make a God out of work, and, that, and that's often a, a problem as well, where, a, let's say a man goes to work in, in a business, and he gets good at what he's doing, and then he spends more and more time so that his family never sees him, and he, he overachieves, if you will. <laughs> and so 
I think part of this here is making sure, too, that God remains God. He remains on the throne, and that work doesn't replace him. Well, I think that's why we look at the divine order of working for six days and resting from our work for one. I was just reading in the Gospels uh, when Jesus said that uh, the Sabbath uh, was created for man. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was given to man. And there's a sensitivity to our needs there that we 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 have to have a break. We have to take a rest. We have to get off of that treadmill. And I think many times when people refuse to do that, refuse to put boundaries around their work and their work habits, uh, they're they're walking in disobedience to the Lord's command, and they're oftentimes doing it out of fear. They believe that the harder they work, the the better off they'll be, or they're justifying it by saying, I'm only doing it to take care of my family. But in reality, uh, God said you would be better off if you'll work only six days and rest one. And you, you walk by faith on that day that you're not working. You trust God, you acknowledge him as your provider, and you take in that, that rest from your own labors. But it's, it is a problem. It's, you, you're, you're outlining a dichotomy here, Dan, where... On one end of the spectrum, you have people looking at work as an ent- society as an entitled society where they don't have to work, and their incentives, in fact, set up for social networks where some people are better off financially by not working. And then you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're seeing people who are controlled by their work, that it's become their identity and their meaning and purpose in life. And both of those are a problem today. Yeah, well, thanks for capturing that. That that's perfect. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the one side of the coin that that is a problem, and that is the entitlement. Um, I heard a story the other day, true story, of a young lady that was um, applying herself and working towards her. She's becoming a nurse, working very hard, getting some kind of an assistance, and um, because she works hard, then. Her income raised and, you know, getting jobs from wherever, all over. Then now it was threatening her assistance. And I find it unfortunate, frankly, that our system is set up such that um, it discourages young people from working really hard because of all this assistance that's available. Have you observed it on your end? Well, we're seeing uh, news flashes come out right now, Dan. In fact, you're uh, report today is very timely. Just looking at headlines in the media, Alan Greenspan, the former Federal Reserve chairman, uh, was being interviewed, and he said that uh, the greatest threat to our economy, and I'm quoting him, is the extraordinary rise in entitlements. And he called this extremely dangerous. And we're seeing uh, the, the rise of them at such a pace that we're reaching a tipping point where now uh, a third of American households are receiving some form of federal welfare. It was, it was uh, in 2010. It was 25 percent of American households. Here we are in 2015, five years later, and we're now at a third. Wow. So, uh, another headline recently was that more Americans are on welfare than are in the full-time workforce. Mm. And so, Dan, this is a this is a conversation that's not just theory. This is a reality of what we're faced with. And other nations that have uh, social programs that are being relied upon by their population are going to be in trouble just like we are. And the word I would use to describe it is unsustainable. 
you cannot sustain a system where people are incentivized not to work. Uh, then you will end up with more people receiving than more people who are providing inputs. And that's when the system will ultimately fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's stay on this a little bit longer, this this one side of the coin, the entitlement part. As we move closer to the ideal and talking about that, suppose um, <laughs> I always think about young people growing up, getting into uh, leadership at some point in their life, and being able to really make a difference and move things in, in a positive direction that's healthy and good for people. Um, suppose one of these young people get into government and, and they have an opportunity to affect it in a positive way. What sort of um, good things should they be concerned about as, a, let's say, a leader in a, in a, in a, local, in a local municipality, perhaps? Uh, what, what kind of things could they do to move the ball along a little bit to, to improve and, and to glorify God in people's work? I think that uh, in this area of work, when it comes to public policy, is to fulfill the government's uh, God-given role to provide the environment where jobs can be created. The government should not see itself as the job creator, nor should it see, nor should it see itself as uh, the, the uh, sustainer of people who are not working. Both of those roles and responsibilities are not uh, ordained by God as the government role. And the government provides laws which are just. The government provides uh, economic policies which incentivize people to start businesses and create jobs. Then you'll have a robust economy. So for a young person uh, in a position to influence policy and to do something locally, their focus should be on establishing the kind of of, um, government policies that will allow the free enterprise system to flourish. If you look at the greatest exodus from poverty in in the modern world, it happened in China. And China, out of necessity, out of literal starvation under the policies of communism and radical socialism, uh, people were dying, and out of necessity, they, they reformed into what they call a market economy, and millions of people exited poverty, not by a government welfare program. In fact, China does not have a social safety net. Uh, people uh, recognize that the government is not going to take care of them. In fact, their greatest fear in China is the government will do something that will cause them to, to starve. They, the government has done that in the past. So a person in a position to influence the direction of uh, a local environment, uh, a state environment, or a national environment is there to create policy that allows the entrepreneur to flourish. Well, that's very helpful, and I, I so agree with your point that uh, government... It's not their job to to create the jobs, rather provide the environment where the jobs can be created. And you're, you're touching upon a sensitivity here in my own heart. Sometimes I'll watch the news and I'll see some politician promising to create jobs. I'm thinking, no, 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 you just need to get out of the way <laughs> and let, as you say, the free enterprise concept take over. You know, Dan, there's so many examples of that. If you look at the contrast between North and South Korea. That's a tiny peninsula. It's a tiny, uh, two tiny nations. But if you study the difference in their economic output, it is extreme. Uh, Both of them in the past 60 years 
have had a similar opportunity to flourish. They were separated by the demilitarized zone from the Korean conflict. One chose communism, the other chose free market approach. And an economic miracle happened in South Korea. It became a first world economy, while North Korea has continued to stay uh, at, at levels of uh, economic growth that are far behind the times. And people are starving and suffering. So what you're talking about matters. It, worldview matters. What we believe about economics and what we believe about government policy and what we believe about entitlements, all those things have real outcomes. And uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion with you, Dan, that young people need to understand that God and his principles hold the solution to create a robust, thriving economy. Going back to the garden, uh, when we work, not only is it uh, good for us, but our output is good for other people. Uh, when, when someone uh, creates a product that saves us time or money or, or benefits our life, that's, uh, that's the grace of God being shared with other people. And uh, we have to see economics from a biblical lens. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the traps that so many other nations who don't know God and don't honor God have fallen into, and, are, and all of us will suffer. Mm. Chuck, um, what about the, the person that God blesses and uh, just so happens to become wealthy? Uh, how is our attitude supposed to be towards that person when we see the blessing of God in their life? Well, first, we're not to judge their motives. Oftentimes, we ascribe to a a wealthy person these horrible um, motives as if they're greedy or they're unjust or they're uh, manipulators or they're deceivers, and we cast stones at them as opposed to honoring them for what they've accomplished. I think the Tenth Commandment is the great equalizer for an economy. When God, you know, you think about all those commandments that are so serious in nature, from murder to stealing to adultery, uh, lying, uh, all those things. And then why did coveting get inserted as number 10? Well, it's there because it allows meritocracy to flourish. When God said, be, be content with what you have and don't covet anything your neighbor has, it's saying, don't try to take from your neighbor. Don't look at them and be envious or jealous. Rather, celebrate what they've achieved through their own efforts. And when a meritocracy is in place, then we can rejoice when people flourish. We can rejoice when they've uh, been entrusted with an abundance. They're the job creators in our society. They have a huge responsibility. And uh, we can be glad for them and what they've accomplished. That's the first thing. The second thing, I I believe, is to... See them as people that God has entrusted much to and uh, help them to understand their responsibility to be generous and to be kingdom-minded and eternal-minded. Uh, selfishness is the great uh, undoer of any, of any economy. If, if an economy becomes selfish and it becomes based on uh, a lot of coveting is allowed to enter into the thinking that economy will self-destruct because there will be taking uh, from the wealthy and redistributing to the poor. The, the Robin Hood plan, which, by the way, Dan, you and I both know, uh, was a fairy tale. It was a, it was a fairy tale that, that uh, we should take from the rich and distribute to the poor. When you study the, the parable of the talents, the exact opposite happens. 
Uh, there were three stewards, one with five talents, one with two talents, and another with a single talent. I call those the rich, middle class, and the poor. And if you read it closely, uh, the one with the single talent, possibly the poor man in this illustration or parable, the the talent was taken from him and given to the man with five talents. Mm. And it's the inverse of what we think. God took from the poor and redistributed it to the wealthy. <laughs> and we think, well, how did that happen? That does that. That's contrary to everything I've thought about uh, biblical economics. You know, we think it's all to give away to the poor. Well, essentially, God took from the unfaithful and gave to the faithful. And faithfulness is the cornerstone of our personal lives. It's the cornerstone in a business. It's the it's the number one factor for the trust built in a brand. And if we're faithful, then we're entrusted with much. If we're unfaithful, what we have is taken away. And that's illustrated on a micro level in the parable of the talents, and it's, and it's uh, true on a, on a macro level. And I look at our country, Dan, and I think we're going to be found unfaithful with the things that we're doing and the policies and the directions we're going, and God will take that away from us. Mm-hmm. And it's only when we're faithful to God and faithful to his principles will we continue to grow as a nation. Mm, so true. Today I'm talking with Chuck Bentley. He is CEO of Crown. It's a nonprofit business and personal finance policy and educational organization. You may hear him on the air with the feature My Money Life. Many stations carry that. And Chuck, um, here's an interesting thought. Suppose someone has a condition, and uh, I don't want to make a mistake here of of falling into a ditch, of um, trying to give someone advice, because there's all kinds of conditions. But some people have a disability of some sort, and um, how are they to be encouraged if if they really want to work and they're unable to work? Well, the Bible talks very clearly about people who are unable to work. And there's specific classes of people who simply cannot work. There are those who are widowed. There are those who are orphaned. There are those who are incapable of providing their own needs through a health problem or or some sort of uh, physical challenge that doesn't allow them to do that. And those are the people that are deemed to be worthy of charity, worthy of support within their community, uh, by the Christian uh, churches, by those that are there in order to help them to make up for the where they're unable to provide for themselves. The other side of that coin, Dan, is the Bible also says those who are able to work but unwilling are not to be uh, taken care of by uh, social safety nets. In other words, our own personal need, our own hunger, uh, should drive us to go into the workforce. And when we take that away from people, when we incentivize them not to work, we actually hurt them. So I think there's a place for compassion for people who've lost their job, a place for compassion for those who cannot take care of themselves, a place obviously for compassion to the weak, uh, to the sick, to those who have had uh, terrible circumstances befall them. Uh, we of all people should recognize that uh, we have the opportunity to care for them and not, do, and, and not do so begrudgingly, but do so cheerfully and lovingly and to be generous with what God has given us and, and to share it freely. 
But that compassion cannot carry over to the people who are able to work but unwilling to do so. And we have to make that distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. It seems, too, that uh, in a church with, uh, let's say, elders, deacons, the deacons have a huge job, and it requires what they're doing, requires a lot of wisdom and discernment. If people are coming to the church seeking help, seeking assistance, to know whether it's real sincere or it's it's just like make-believe, and it requires a lot of wisdom there on that part of those deacons, it seems. It does require a lot of wisdom, and, and I think the Bible clearly reflects that responsibility upon the elders of the church. But just going to the church itself, if you if you took the church as, a, as an entity and said that everybody in the church is entitled to charity, then and I'm talking about 100% of the of the congregation, how could that plan possibly be supported? Right. It, it would be impossible. So there have to be guidelines to say who qualifies, who's really, who is who's it necessary mm-hmm. for us to take care of. And if a person is truly in need, I don't think anybody uh, is hesitant to help that person. Right. But if they're, if their need is only because they don't want to go out and work, then I think that's where we have to draw the line, even as a church. And, mm-hmm. and the Bible talks about that specific call for wisdom very, very clearly. Mm. Yeah, very helpful. Well, before we run out of time here today, Chuck, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners resources that Crown may have available related to, uh, to this very discussion of work. Well, I was so honored to be invited to join you today, Dan, that I asked the team to put together a special resource just for your listeners, uh, and it can be found at crown.org, crown.org slash career, and it's an audio teaching that I did called The Essential Guide for Employment, and it's designed for people to be encouraged to understand uh, what God says about work in much more detail than we've covered here today. And also to give them um, direction on what they can do to uh, create a career for themselves, how they can understand their unique design, and uh, follow God's design. One of the greatest uh, ad- pieces of advice Larry Burkett, our founder, used to give people was to say simply, you're as unique as a snowflake. Find out uh, who you are, how did God design you, and then go be yourself. Don't try to live somebody else's life. Don't try to live outside your design. Just go be yourself. So uh, for your listeners, they can download for free this Essential Guide for Employment. I think it will be a great encouragement to them. And they can find that at crown.org slash career. Mm, very helpful. Chuck, we'll, um, we'll have this um, broadcast up on our website as a podcast. And in the description part, we'll also include that link. So thanks for sharing that. Um, as we close today, um, this this last category we mentioned at the very beginning of uh, after we conclude that we should be working, we don't want to go too far and make a god out of work and, and be controlled by our work. Just some final uh, thoughts maybe in the last two minutes, Chuck, that you may have pertaining to that. Well, I think about Augustine who said there essentially the whole world will divide into two different cities one, the city of man that's built upon self-love and contempt for God, and the city of God, which is built upon love for God and contempt for self. He said all of life divides into that, that dichotomy. 
And I think the same is true when it comes to work and economics. There's man's economy and there's God's economy. And in man's economy, we exalt ourselves. It's about our achievements, our advances, our net worth, our promotions, our position, our power, our possessions. Uh, It's all based on humanism. It's all based on the exaltation of what man can do apart from God. And that's when a person gets caught up in the principles of this world and controlled by their work. But in God's economy, it's about glorifying Him. We go to work not simply to get a paycheck uh, or to receive a promotion, but to glorify God through our diligence, uh, through our excellence, through our integrity, through our witness and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit that we share in the workplace. We have two vastly different motivations. And what I've found, Dan, is when people live in uh, God's economy, when they really give up that desire to impress other people and to meet the, the dictates and expectations of the world, they end up being free to truly serve other people and to serve God's purposes in the workplace. And they do quite well on the job. They're better servants. Uh, they're better employees. Uh, they're more faithful. Uh, they're more trustworthy. Uh, they're more productive. Their lifestyles are ones that where they're getting enough rest to, to go to work and be fully engaged. They're balanced. They're not having uh, tremendous conflicts uh, in their own emotions. And so uh, moving from man's economy into God's economy will help prevent work from becoming a god and being controlled by an idol. And it will allow you to actually flourish the way God designed you to flourish. Well, Chuck, praise the Lord for that insight. Today my guest has been Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown. And you can check out the organization's website at crown.org. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Dan, as I said earlier, it's always a privilege. Thank you for inviting me to be on your program today. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Amen.